Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, August 14th, 2023. On the show today, news and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim continues the story of Spain's Epcot Pavilion and Gigante. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that if tacos can fall apart and still be amazing, so can you. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len, but interesting you bring up tacos. On the heel of the success of Taco Tuesday, the American Cabbage Council has reached out to the Disney Dish and is asking for our help in getting yet another day of the week tied to a specific food item. Coleslaw Thursdays? <laughs> well, actually, actually sauerkraut Sundays. Sauerkraut uh, <laughs> Sunday, yes, of course. How did I miss that? Or Wiener Schnitzel Wednesday. And now I realize you are just back from your big European adventure, so maybe you've had your fill of, of menu items that feature fermented cabbage. Uh, me yeah. personally, I, I have a 64-year-old digestive system, which means if I even look at a plate of cooked cabbage, I then have to contact the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, any thoughts and suggestions in regard uh, to... You know, I'm, th I'm thinking, you know, uh, kimchi, you know, is also super popular. It's it's kind of having a moment in the culinary scene right now. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So kimchi, sauerkraut, uh, what other mm. types of uh, fermented cabbage are there? I'm not sure. I mean, the, the one thing about the kimchi that it's that step of put it in a pot and bury it in bury your it yard. In the ground. <laughs> <laughs> bury it in the ground. It's, like it's the telltale heart, but edible, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, oh, right. oh, wow. Sure. There we go. There we go. Right? It's yeah. English majors rejoice. Okay. Anyway, yeah, moving the, the on. Deep cut right there already. All right. There we go. Jim, let's do a mm -hmm. quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Hang the Code, Patrox322, Colonnade Atlanta, and Cotterpinks. And longtime subscribers, Andy Pokrivnak, Joe Ficus, Rich Form, and Mariah Pacheco. Jim, these are the Disney Cruise Line cast members who had to test out the spas on Disney's ships to ensure everything was right before launch. They say the best part of the job was obviously sitting in a spa on a cruise ship, and the least good part of the job was when the ship's engineers inadvertently coated the heated stone launchers with waffle-scented glaze, which is described in an accident report titled The Donner Party at Sea. True story. <laughs> I love that you brought up the heated stone loungers because... Spent a lot of time on those last week, Jim. I had no idea these things existed till you, me, Nancy, and Laurel did that working trip on... Was that on the, the dream. magic? On the, the dream. dream. Yeah. Okay. And you were kind enough to buy us a length of, of cruise pass to the spa. And yeah. between running back and forth between the various different showers and those heated stone, I, I, I had no idea my lizard brain was as dominant. <laughs> like, mm, good. That's all you're <laughs> no. thinking, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, oh, hey, there's all these activities in the boat. There's all these things you can be doing. Heated stone Spa. lounger. Stone yeah. lounger, exactly. The funny <sighs> thing was, like, when we were on the ship, uh, Laurel mm -hmm. was asking me how the dream compared to the wish, because you and I went on the wish last yep. September as part of the, you know, the dish on the wish thing. And I told Laurel, like, we had so little time between going between event and events and, you know, and socializing with people, and that's what they were there mm -hmm. for. Um, yep. I don't even know where the spa is. On the Disney Wish. Like, I don't even know what deck it's on. I don't know where the bars are, except for the one that we went to. I don't know mm -hmm. where anything was, because we were spending so much time, you know, mm -hmm. hanging out with people. I was like, I, mm -hmm. we need to go back on the Wish 
I agree. Just I to agree. see what's there. Yeah. 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 But again, still great time. But but oh, you're right. It's like I I know this is a ship, and I recognize that's water over there. But the rest of it, you know, <laughs> it's all a blur. Like I don't remember any of it. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's get on to the uh, to the news, Jim. Folks, the news is sponsored by Touring Plans Travel Agency. Yes, we have a travel agency too, and we can help book your next trip. Plus, it comes with a free Touring Plans subscription. Check us out at touringplans.com slash dish. All right, so first thing I want to do is thank Josh Gad for coming on the show last week to uh, to support us, and I hope he's having fun on his vacation in Italy. Jim, as I uh, listened to the show, mm-hmm. a number of things uh, jumped out at me. Number one, Josh really is a theme park fan like the rest of us. Like, Oh, no, no, absolutely. W- absolutely. When he talked about... You know, his first visit was in 84 mm-hmm. and, you know, he, he called Horizons like a classic attraction. I'm like, these are my people. But the funniest <laughs> thing to me was when you were talking about Sensi being the official scent mm-hmm. of, of Walt Disney World and Josh chimed in and said, oh, I always thought that the scent, the official scent of Walt Disney World was. And as soon as he started the sentence, I, uh, he and I at the same time said, Dracar Noir. And I was, I was listening to it with Laurel, and Laurel's like, have you heard the show before? I'm like, well, no, but that's, that's the obvious answer, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's the no. gag. No, that's the gag. And, um, yeah, so, uh, clearly, Mr. Gad is one of our people. And so I think, I think just, there's some hive mind thing going on there. Yeah, I, I yeah. know, no, but uh, no, he's a sweet guy and really so appreciate great. him stepping in. And by the way, hi, Ava. Hope you're having a good time on hi, the, the family trip in Italy as well. So. Yeah, I hope you guys are having fun in Italy. Hope it's hope the weather's good for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, so last week, uh, uh, Jim, I just want to give a quick summary of where I was uh, from mm-hmm. last week. So I was on the Disney Dreams seven-night Northern European cruise out of Copenhagen. It was, and I'm not exaggerating, one of the best mm-hmm. vacations I've ever been on in my oh, entire cool. life. Like, <laughs> like if I could have back-to-back that, mm-hmm. I totally would have. But the ship was completely full, like 100% occupancy. Um, and we'll talk a little bit uh, more about uh, DCL's results when we talk about the Walt Disney's uh, mm-hmm. quarterly earnings. But a couple of things. Our ports were Kiel, Germany, mm-hmm. uh, Nynesham, Sweden, which is 30 kilometers from... Stockholm, uh, Fredericia, Denmark, and then Oslo, Norway, plus two sea days. Mm-hmm. The, uh, for all of you guys who are suffering through the heat, wherever you are in the United States, the temperature never got above 75 degrees. And to most days, it was 65 with light rain. And I will mm-hmm. trade 65 in light rain for anything that's going on in the United States right now in terms <laughs> of summer. It was beautiful. Like, like, I don't know how all of us don't go to Northern Europe Mm-hmm. For summer, and if we if you told me like okay, Len, this is the the next dish cruise that we're mm-hmm. doing, I would mm-hmm. I would totally take that take that. Um, it was just utterly fantastic. We uh, we flew into Copenhagen a day early, mm-hmm. walked around there. Copenhagen's beautiful. Spent another day in Copenhagen at the end where I went to Tivoli Gardens, which oh. you and I need to do an entire show on because like walking around Tivoli to see how it influenced Walt's mm-hmm. design for mm-hmm. Disneyland was just like. Amazing, but also there are so many parallels with Tivoli and now modern Epcot. Yes, let us schedule this show. Okay, can't wait. And so, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk about uh, on it, uh, you know this, but like when Laurel and I go to different countries, one of the things we like to do is to go into regular grocery stores mm-hmm. to see how you know how how things are sold there, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've talked about, I think on previous shows, when we did our Canada cruise, we mm-hmm. went into grocery stores in Canada. One of the things we noticed was that milk is sold in bags in Canada, not in cartons, right? So, you know, to see how uh, other people shop is super interesting. So in, uh, in Kiel, Germany, one of the things that Laurel wanted to find was uh, different flavors of Fanta soda. 
that are okay. unavailable in the United States. So right. um, my German isn't great, so forgive me if I get this wrong. Um, but we did find two flavors that are not available in the United States. One was, I think, an elderberry lemon or lemon elderberry. Oh, Okay. Um, which which was super interesting. And the other one, again, my German isn't great, but it mm-hmm. seems sort of like citrus David Hasselhoff. <laughs> if it, oh. I, again, I don't speak German. It's a, it's a complicated language, but uh, yeah. So I'm not sure what that is, but I think it's uh, like, I don't know, some sort of musk flavor. Who knows? I would think you'd have to pour that through a filter just for the chest hair. <laughs> the other interesting thing is that mm-hmm. um, eggs are not refrigerated in most of Europe. Mm-hmm. And so when I did some investigation, why well, it turns out that most farms vaccinate their chickens against salmonella in Europe, mm. so they don't have to be refrigerated. Okay. Also, breads and cereals are divided by their healthiness. So, like, they have sections of like, okay, here's the health bread, here are the health mm-hmm. cereals, and they're like, yep. you know, whole grain oats, mm-hmm. you know, type type things, and then mm-hmm. you know, all the way over to like your sugar smacks. And basically, it's like, uh, you know, uh, it, it goes from like the symbols of it. So like happy children playing in a meadow to, mm-hmm. you know, the Grim Reaper sitting across from you at breakfast. <laughs> that's the symbolism that's, that's in there. I always gauge the healthiness of, of a loaf of bread by how hard it is to lift it up. Yeah. It's especially dense. It's like, okay, this is healthy. And, and you know, also will work. Again, my jaw will get a workout chewing on this thing. Yeah, it, it was all very good. Um, but there are a lot of common products, you know, the mm-hmm. same in the United States. Like, there's cup of soup is basically a universal food. Mm-hmm. Like, if aliens came down in spaceships, I would expect them to have, like, little cups that they could microwave with noodles in them. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. what I expect. Um, prices are about the same as in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was looking at fresh fresh food. So, like, a pound mm-hmm. of cherries in Europe is still four fifty converted mm-hmm. to U.S. dollars. So that's about what they are now, too. Yeah, the other interesting much. thing, though, that I found is mm-hmm. regardless of what unit of measure you use if it's kilograms Mm. or if it's pounds Mm. it seems like everywhere i went the standard package size for a unit of ground beef Mm. is still about one pound or half a kilogram give or take Mm -hmm. and i thought to myself like literally i was trying to figure out like is that because that's just what a typical family will eat Mm -hmm. or is it because this was my other idea that the paper trays are manufactured in only one size because of the volume and is that standardized? I don't know. It's an interesting question. If there's anyone it in the, there's anyone in the beef industry that knows this, like that's yeah. that's a serious question. Yeah, I would kind of lean to the latter. I, that was my thought. Yeah. Oh, interesting. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if we any, if we know anyone in the meat industry, um, there we go. Why, why does it seem to be uh, standardized around the world? All right, uh, Jim. Also in the news, the Walt Disney Company reported yesterday its quarterly earnings. The top line items: Disney Plus lost. 7.4% of its subscribers, again, mostly in India, and posted a loss of $512 million. Although that sounds like a lot, that's half of last quarter's loss, so I guess things are looking up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bob Iger also said that Disney Cruise Line is running at 96 to 98% of capacity. And again, based on my experience in Europe, that is exactly right. So that's okay. um, so the way that he phrased that, though, is interesting. That's mm-hmm. um, It's not 96 to 98% of the maximum capacity of the ship. It's mm-hmm. staterooms are running at 96 to 98% capacity. So, for example, Laurel and I were in a, a veranda stateroom, mm-hmm. and uh, the stateroom technically could have slept five people. There mm-hmm. were two in it. Mm-hmm. So while the you know the stateroom was at capacity, according to Bob Iger's thing, it's in the 96 to 98%. The, mm-hmm. the ship itself was only at 90% capacity. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Okay. I, I, again, going to be interesting to see 
what happened now next year is when the the treasure comes online right treasure comes online in the uh the golden dream or the uh, global dream uh, okay. i believe it's 2025 and that's gonna be based out of singapore mm-hmm. and what i heard so the interesting thing i heard about that was the folks on the ship think the capa- the passenger capacity is going to be around 6000 but also they're expecting to keep the casino interesting and jim go ahead i know what you're going to say and i have it as a bullet i'm uh, go ahead well no 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 i mean just the, the news yesterday in regard to yep. espn get yeah. on, on, so espn's get partnering on. with penn entertainment on a sports book gambling app uh, mm-hmm. branded to espn so yeah i mean it looks like disney is uh, dipping its toes in the gambling water yeah on the heels of yesterday's news, what you just shared about the ship in Singapore, yeah, not a surprise. Not it makes surprise. sense, especially for that market. The Asian market expects uh, oh, yeah. gambling. We also had a super interesting conversation about uh, the extent mm-hmm. to which smoking will be permitted on the Dream. And nobody knows, but um, mm-hmm. you know, smoking is, uh, m- I think, more practiced in certain countries in Asia than in the United States right now. So uh, they're going to have to make some accommodations for that. The other big highlights from the quarterly earnings, overall theme parks did well, profits are up. Um, international parks did very well, as did Disneyland. But Iger confirmed a slowdown of Walt Disney World, which you and I have been talking about for a while. Yeah, yeah. Again, that image you shared from Port Orleans Riverside. Yeah. You know, and I, I realize you are literally just off the plane. But uh, you're still going to circle back on that idea, sort of roll around property and see you know, I am. where else? And I've asked okay. BioReconstruct to get some uh, photos as well. He's uh, He oh. sent a couple from before I left that definitely showed uh, entire parking sections of Port Orleans uh, empty. And i got to go back and, and check to see what other hotels he sent. You know, Bio is better at identifying landmarks from aerial photos than I am. So mm-hmm. i got to go back and you know, give mm-hmm. it a once-over, like it's a U2 spy plane or something. <laughs> but, but, you know, but, but the funny thing is, is like, like once Bio sent those photos, I felt like Eisenhower with once he got the U two spy planes. Like like what else can I do with this? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm desperate for a Gary Powers joke here, and I can't come <laughs> up with you. one. If it comes okay. to you, let me know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. A couple of other uh, news items: uh, Disney started rolling out a set of changes previously mm. announced for park reservations where date-based tickets for after January 9th, 2024 do not require those park reservations. So if you've got a date-based one-day ticket, a date-based multi-day ticket, or a vacation package with date-based tickets after January 9th, you won't need to make theme park reservations. Um, you will need to make reservations if you're using um, discounted tickets, so like student group tickets, sports or convention tickets, any other ticket that we haven't talked about, and also annual passes as well. But it's only certain annual passes that you need to okay. make. Okay. Yeah. That's, I get, I'm kind of intrigued by the doing that to the annual pass. Now, this is just for Orlando or out in Anaheim. I believe it's just for uh, for Orlando right now because the last time I was in, mm-hmm. well, when you and I were in Disneyland, I still had to make a park reservation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for that. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Also, Jim, uh, the Magic Kingdom has now held the first of its annual Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween parties for 2023. So if you're visiting the Magic Kingdom between now and November, you'll see fall decorations in the park. That's good. I I wonder if uh, Florida's going to be hot enough for the straw scarecrows to burst into flame anytime soon. (laughs) I mean, hopefully the rain will will keep them moist enough that we don't have to worry about it. I have to admit that the, you know, just the heat advisory stuff I've seen over the last couple of days, it's like, holy yeah. cow. Yeah, so. it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, 112 for oh, heat yeah. index, that's that's quite a bit. Yeah. That's crazy. 
Also, Jim, uh, Disney announced that the most recent Mickey Mouse cartoon short, number 120, titled mm-hmm. Steamboat Silly, will be the last in the series. Uh, and here I'm going to follow the advice of, it was either Gandhi or Dolly Parton, who said, don't be sad because it's ending. Be happy because it happened. Yeah. Uh, so I think these, you and I have talked about these, these cartoons relaunched Mickey Mouse to an entire generation of new fans. Mm-hmm. It brought Mickey back to the forefront of cartoon artistry. Mm-hmm. Some of those cartoons, as you and I have said, have, are legitimate classics mm-hmm. uh, and belong in the same conversation as, you know, the, the Bugs Bunny classic, What's Opera Dog? So, Though, one quick note b- before we call it, and again, no disagreement, I, I have loved every single one of these things. But what's fascinating about Steamboat Silly is that when you consider how prominently the Steamboat Willie take... I knew you were... I thought you were going to go here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, just think about the... From the, a copyright Copyright. Extension. Yeah. 100%. Just, In fact, we, we, have a, we have an email from a listener yeah. who actually brought it this point before I went on the ship. And, I'm, and so I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. yeah. But is it, a, is it a copyright play? Yeah. yeah I mean, entirely I mean, possible, yeah. But I mean, I might just say I love that it, it relaunched Mickey as a fun, vibrant character. And yeah. it's on the way out the door. Oh, by the way, and we also re-secured the copyright. And, 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 and then the animators climb on their horse and, and, and charge over the hill. Exactly. There exactly. we go. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, last news item. And we didn't talk about this before I left, but uh, mm-hmm. the Haunted Mansion closed for refurbishment and was actually supposed to open to reopen today, uh, Thursday, oh, when recording, okay. but did not. Um, okay. And that refurbishment is to add the Hatbox Ghost. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't talk about this before I left, like I said. But there is quite a bit of controversy over yeah. the addition of the Hatbox Ghost. So I wanted to go through it here real quick. The, okay. the, for our listeners who haven't, maybe haven't heard this yet, the controversy is mm-hmm. in the placement of the Hatbox Ghost relative to the attraction of the story in mm-hmm. Walt Disney World. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is this. Uh, Disney said earlier this month, that the Hatbox Ghost is being placed in the endless hallway section of the Haunted Mansion. So to refresh all of our memories, here's the order of the scenes in the first part of the ride in Walt Disney World. So you start with the load area, uh, and then if you remember, you go through the portrait gallery with the lighting effects on the paintings. Mm-hmm. Then you go through the library with the busts uh, that look like they're following you. Then we see the piano, mm-hmm. then the stairs room, right, That which is new. Mm-hmm. Then we see the endless hallway, which is, again, where the hatbox ghost is going. Mm-hmm. And this had previously had just the floating candelabra. It did. Mm-hmm. Then, then we go to the viewing room where there's the casket with dead flowers. Mm-hmm. Then we get the clock scene and then Madame Leota. Mm-hmm. Right. And the issue with the hatbox ghost placement in the endless hallway is that we've traditionally not seen fully materialized ghosts until Madame Leota summons them. Right. Mm-hmm. We've seen strange behavior and hints of paranormal mm-hmm. activity, but mm-hmm. we, we haven't seen an actual spirit mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. after Madame Leto calls them. So the placement of the Hatbox ghost breaks the existing story. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've mentioned before, Jim, on the show, uh, Fox Nolte's book, Boundless Realms, right? The, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's an excellent, super detailed analysis of the Haunted Mansion attraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Fox took to her social media recently to point out to Disney that this location of the Hatbox Ghost isn't consistent with the story. And her tweet was, at Walt Disney World, I'm sad to see you folks choosing a location for the Hatbox Ghost, which contradicts the story of the ride. I wish you would reconsider. I've written an entire book on this attraction, and it's sad to see it being so badly disrespected. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, I had a lot of time to think about this in my stone lounger, Jim. 
I ha- <laughs> okay. Right. I have a few thoughts, and I'm going to start with the least nerdy thing and mm-hmm. work our way up to more nerdy. Right. Mm-hmm. So my first point is that it would have been absolutely fine with me if Disney kept the Hatbox Ghost just in Disneyland. We don't mm-hmm. need to clone any everything. It was originally in Disneyland. Maybe Disneyland just should have kept it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. My second thing is, for the love of God, Imagineering, stop working on Haunted Mansion and Pirates. <sighs> Half the stuff in the studios hasn't been meaningfully updated in mm-hmm. 30 years. Mm-hmm. Also, not for nothing, I did the math. Mm-hmm. The last scene of Carousel of Progress is now mm-hmm. farther in the past than the 1940 scene was when Carousel of Progress debuted in the 1964 World's Fair. Ooh. In fact, Ooh. in 2027, mm-hmm. Jim, four years mm-hmm. from now, less than four years, the current mm-hmm. scene four will be farther back in history than the 1920s scene was when mm-hmm. Carousel of Progress opened in the World's Fair. Do we get to move <laughs> the age of the attraction forward based on the squirrel? I mean, the, the, the squirrel is a new addition. You know, there's, there's someone in Imagineering thinking if we slap a sweater on the squirrel. <laughs> maybe okay. so. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I've made my point. I don't need to go All right. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen some people argue like you that the Haunted Mansion really doesn't have a, quote, story in mm-hmm. the sense of a linear narrative. Mm-hmm. I would argue that at least from Madame Leota through the ballroom scene is a specific narrative and that the scenes from the Lode area to Madame Leota are essential to establishing the setting. I mean, the first half of the, the attraction really is a Claude Coates extravaganza. You know, once you get to Leota and beyond, it's Mark Davis Central. Right, gags um, in the back, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I know, I, I get what you're saying, so. Yeah, uh, but in line with the, the argument that people are making, the Hatbox mm-hmm. Ghost has always been in the attic scene in Disneyland from mm-hmm. the time it was conceived until the time it was reestablished, and that makes sense from the timeline with Madame Lieta summoning the spirits, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... My other point is like this, like not for nothing, but even if I didn't have an opinion or we didn't have mm-hmm. an opinion, I think we both acknowledge that Fox Nolte is the expert here. And if she has concerns, those concerns are valid and should be addressed, right? Okay. okay. And then that brought me to a larger point. This is the kind of thing I was kicking around with Laurel on mm-hmm. the cruise. Like the larger point is this. Why mm-hmm. does it seem like Disney theme park fans are the ones telling Imagineering what the park canon is? Mm-hmm. Like shouldn't there be someone in Imagineering who points this out? Before it gets installed. <laughs> yeah. Like, why is it us saying like Harmonious absolutely doesn't belong in Epcot, right? Like why, why are we doing this? Yeah. Mm. The, uh, and the thing I was thinking about, like, you know, we all know that Joe Rohde was the vision behind a mm-hmm. lot of the Animal Kingdom and the one that ensured thematic mm-hmm. consistency, essentially riding herd on mm-hmm. things. And for all of the things that she should be criticized for, J.K. Rowling did the mm-hmm. same thing in mm-hmm. the Wizarding Worlds for Universal, right? To ba- mm-hmm. make sure that, like, this is my story and we're sticking to it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so Joe Rody's retired for um, Imagineering. To his credit, he still goes on social media to, he does. Answer, yeah, to answer questions about the park, like, you know, what were you thinking here? And our friend mm-hmm. and former Imagineer Jim Scholl does mm-hmm. the same thing with the attractions he's worked on, right? Yep, yep, yep. Who's that person in Imagineering now? Mm-hmm. Who is that person? Like, maybe Sherita Carter? who did a great job in Runaway Railway, can eventually fill that role. But who is that person now who says, this makes sense because X? And I don't think there's a person. No. No. And, you know, and that sort of addresses a larger issue to the effect of, I mean, the changes that are reportedly coming to Animal Kingdom, whether it's the Moana area replacing right. Dinoland USA or Zootopia literally taking over the show building. 
for uh, Countdown to Extinction or right. Dinosaur the Ride, depending on what you call it. I mean, that's the thing. Joe fought the whole talking animal thing forever. And again, to his credit, he's willing to go to, to answer questions from mm-hmm. the general public. Now, he probably selects the mm-hmm. ones that, that he wants to answer, which I understand because he yeah. has yet to uh, to explain my, uh, or to answer my conspiracy <laughs> theory involving it's tough to be a bug. It's fine. <laughs> he gets a lot of things. It's fine. Okay. Sorry. He's a busy but, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, but, you know, mm-hmm. there's someone that does it, right? Yeah. And that you, and even if I didn't agree with it, like, you know, I don't agree with, you know, everything that Pablo Picasso ever painted. But, you know, mm-hmm. you can say, well, that was his vision and he stuck to it. And, you know, mm-hmm. got to respect mm-hmm. that. I don't know who that person is in Imagineering who's just mm-hmm. going to get willing to take questions from the general public. It's a leadership vacuum mm-hmm. that I think needs to be filled. Anyway. Yeah. Interesting question. We're we'll gonna, see what happens. There. Observation. So. All right, we've got uh, time for one quick uh, listener question. This one mm-hmm. actually came from our friend and archivist, uh, Jason Schultz. Jason! Who, yeah. yeah, Jason, yeah. Who wrote okay. in... Af- so I mentioned uh, on the last show that I was on that I had some unusual sheet music from the Buddy Baker archives in NYU. And following up on that, one of them was a piece of sheet music that had parts mm-hmm. for a parrot and a toucan. And Jason pointed out mm-hmm. that uh, that's for a song from the 1964 World's Fair post-show for Carousel of Progress titled literally The Toucan and Parrot Electric Utility Show, mm-hmm. which is uh, just under nine minutes in length. So the uh, Wally Bogue was one of the voice actors, Paul mm-hmm. Fries, and then uh, Dick Winston, I believe, was the, uh, was the other and, one. And, yeah. you know, we should have made the connection, because remember, I think you, you, you read the description, and it was what? Toucan and Parrot talking about electricity, yeah. Uh, well, uh, more to the point, it was talking about nuclear fission yeah. or something yeah. like that. And remember, the, the post-show of you know, Carousel of Progress for the New York World's Fair is the show ended and, and you got on that escalator that took you up to the second floor of the building where you looked yeah. at a simulation of nuclear fission. Right, yeah. I, I should have thought about it, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, the thing that, I think the thing that confused me, and I, I, I went, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had a little bit of a conversation with Jason about that, is mm-hmm. it was handwritten sheet music mm-hmm. thrown in with uh, Living with the Land, in the Living with the Land folder. Mm-hmm. So... There's at least a four, 13 to 15 year difference. There is between there is. those. How did how did that sheet music end up in the land? Was it he was working on other contemporaneous Epcot pavilions? Mm-hmm. Did it happen to fall into the wrong folder? Was it a sorting issue? Like mm-hmm. I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The other stuff that I found mixed in was contemporaneous. So like mm-hmm. even if I, the stuff that I found that's misfiled in the mm-hmm. folders, is still from the right time period, just not in the right attraction folder. Another explanation, Len, of course, is that Buddy Baker uses the exact same filing system that I do, which is technically known as piles. You know, just sort of like, you know, I piled it there, and then I moved the pile over here, and then, you know, that's... You if know, you want to make it sound sophisticated, say it's a heap-based system. There we go, heap. Yeah. Okay. Heap, heap-based, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, thanks for Jason for uh, for mm-hmm. the help with that. Also, um, before I left, I wrote a letter, mm-hmm. an actual paper letter, to the mm-hmm. Disney archives asking about the conservation song and a couple of mm-hmm. other things. So uh, okay. if I hear back from them, I'll let, I'll let everybody know. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So busy week. Mm-hmm. So again, thanks for uh, thanks for covering while it's gone. Thanks for, again to uh, to Josh for, uh, for covering too. Glad to do it, and glad you had a good time. And now I really want to go lay on a heated stone. Mm-hmm. Lounge, good thing. Mm-hmm. It's the right okay. thing to do, Jim. It's the right thing. All right, folks, okay. we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim continues the story of Epcot's Spain Pavilion and its links to the film Gigante. We'll be right back. 
It's August, people. Where did the summer go? I mean, we've only got a few weeks left to cram in some fun before fall gets here. That's why Nancy and I are now in the process of planning a road trip. We're looking to head on down to Pennsylvania for a few days later this month, where first we're going to be heading into Philadelphia to check out that Disney 100 exhibit at the Franklin Institute before it closes on August 27. From there, uh, we're looking to drive on out to Pennsylvania Dutch Country, where Nancy plans to do some furniture shopping, whereas I... I'm off in search of some shoe fly pie. Of course, there's always that aspect of travel where, what do you do if something unexpected happens while you're away from the house? Like, for example, a weird charge suddenly shows up on one of your credit cards. What happens if you're on the road and you need to move quickly to resolve this financial issue? Well, me personally, I don't sweat that stuff anymore. But that's because I'm all signed up for rocket money. Rocket Money is the personal finance app that monitors all of your spending in one place. It can recommend custom budgets based on your past spending patterns. They'll even send you notifications when you've reached your personal spending limit. Better yet, Rocket Money can even negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. I've talked previously on this podcast about how Rocket Money has helped me keep tabs on all those subscriptions I have. But it's this monitoring of expenses in real time, not to mention this negotiating to lower your bills option, that's now got me really excited about this personal finance app. So why not join the more than 3 million users who have taken advantage of Rocket Money and, in the process, save themselves an average of $720 a year? Manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. That's rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. One more time for those of you who are already longing for Labor Day, rocketmoney.com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. All right, Jim, when we, uh, we left off with, I believe it was a discussion about the pavilions that could have been. Yep. For Epcot, right? So, um, uh, so it was after Phase One, but before Phase Two, right? Yeah. And again, the whole notion is, if you were lucky enough to visit Epcot the fall it opened '82, and right. you walked around World Showcase, you would have seen, in addition to the pavilions that had opened, there were billboards up for Equatorial Africa, Israel, and Spain. And in mm. today's show, we're talking about Spain. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to have a ride. In fact, the description that they put out, spring of 82, uh, mm -hmm. said that guests would take a spectacular journey through Spain via film to little-known and out-of-the-way vacation Edens, mm -hmm. and that this ride attraction will capture the country's passionate heritage and the spirit in its arts. And this is a ride, which is important because when Epcot opened, it had sit-down animatronic shows like right. uh, American Adventure. It had film-based attractions like O Canada, Impressions de France, and Wonders of China. But it, it desperately needed a ride. And the thing that most excited the executives in charge of this park was that the ride system that was supposed to power this Spanish pavilion was the Omnimover, which, I, again, I don't right. need to tell you. Yeah, you, you said, yeah, it, I was super excited to hear you say this on the show. Is It, it was a film-based Omnimover, and I think that's the link that uh, where Josh was like, okay, this is like dream flight, right? 
Well, no, that's it exactly. Yeah, if you had wings, you know, just sort of the whole notion right. of moving past, you know, it would have had film elements, it would have had props. And again, it would have been a, this huge people eater. Yeah. Uh, but as we mentioned on the show, uh, this was a go. It was supposed to open within five years of the opening of the park. But then, of course, it got derailed by a regime change in, in yeah. Spain. <laughs> you, you talked about uh, Marty Scalora asking the student revolution people in Iran, yeah. hey, can I, can I get that model back? You, you, I mean, if, if you guys are done. Like, you know, the weird part of it is that uh, Marty actually mentions this in one of his books. He go, goes oh, on yeah. at length about, you know, yeah, kids in the street seem a little agitated. <laughs> and the way you delivered that line was so funny. Like, <laughs> have you noticed these kids out here? They, they seem quite concerned. Yeah. <laughs> But at the same time, it was like, Marty being Marty is like, well, you know, can can I do the model as my carry-on? I don't think it will hit in the overhead. Hello, hello, Pan Am? (laughs) There we go. There we go. But because of, there was a failed coup, and then there was an election that went a certain way, and by uh, the the fall of 82, Spain was no longer interested in doing, Mm. you know, a pavilion. But that actually changed in the fall of 1991. As part of the 20th anniversary of Walt Disney World, uh, the resort's PR team shared this interesting stat to the effect that since the Norway Pavilion had first opened on the shores of of Epcot's World Showcase Lagoon back in June of 1988, U.S.-based tourism to this Scandinavian country Mm -hmm. had gone up by 500% annually. I mean, not for nothing, Jim, I've been there twice. Norway. I mean, you think of all the countries you go. I've been to Norway twice, yeah. Yeah, and this, this of all things, caught the attention of a group of Spanish businessmen who were like, hey, we wouldn't mind a (laughs) a 500% jump in tourism from the States. And didn't we once have a deal with Disney to build a pavilion? Let's circle back on that idea. So now the downside is this then begins a two-decade-long series of false starts in in that Uh – Disney was obviously desperate to get a new pavilion built in World Showcase, which, by the way, this year, Len, marks the 35th anniversary since the last one went in. I mean, and wow. that's I, that's a travesty. You have the space, you have the land. And in fact, I bet if somebody bothered to tote out how much the company has spent on permanent show kitchens for the various festivals at this point, yeah. I'm pretty sure that money could have translated into an actual pavilion. But anyway, yeah. again, we, we get down to the problem, money. You know, there's a, a steady pattern to what goes on here. Uh, first, a consortium businessman would come forward and say, hey, we want to build a Spanish pavilion in Epcot. And Disney would say, that's great. Okay, this is much how much it will cost to build that pavilion. And then yeah. after that, you're going to have to spend this much annually for at least 10 years to staff, support, and maintain that facility. Yeah, you're, prob- you're probably looking at $100 million for them to, to build it. And then right. ten million a year to maintain. Oh, easily. So you're looking easily. at two hundred million dollars over tw- over ten years. Yeah, and that's the thing that you know, in the Spanish businesses go, wow, that's a little bit outside of our price range, and they yeah. try to renegotiate with Disney, or they'd go off in search of additional funding, and eventually the deal would collapse. But then came November of 2013, and Disney's surprise billion-dollar earner, Frozen, which in less than three years, became the IP that replaced Maelstrom, Epcot's Norway Pavilion. And then, look, you of all people know what happened when Frozen Ever After opened in in June of 2016. I mean, uh, that 
attraction changed the center of gravity. Yeah, I mean, people started walking there, especially families with small children. In fact, I kind of think that the success of Frozen Ever After is why we got Remy eventually to sort of like balance out the demand of the park. Yeah. And remember, you know, later on in the story, we're going to talk about a, a, an attraction that's supposed to be driven by a trackless vehicle. Hmm. But all right. So again, just what you mentioned, Frozen Ever After opening, you know, and the impact it has on, on Epcot overall does not get unnoticed by the Imagineers. And they, they start thinking, what other family-friendly rides can we now get in the works for World Showcase? Which now brings us to Gigantic. Okay. which as far back as 2010, Walt Disney Animation Studios has been toying with the idea of producing a full-length animated feature based on the classic English fairy tale, Jack and the Beanstalk. Sure. Now, there was a pair of Mickey Mouse shorts that, that sure. pitted the, the company's corporate symbol against an oversized foe, Giant Land in November of, of 1933, and then The Brave Little Tailor, September of 1938. And, and also, there was Fun and Fancy Free, the package film, the studio released in September of, of 47, yeah. which also had Mickey and the Beanstalk in it. But So, so I remember Mickey and the Beanstalk. I remember mm-hmm. Brave Little Tailor. I don't remember Giant Land. It literally starts off with Mickey in front of a group of orphans. He, he hangs out with a lot of orphans. Have you yeah, noticed that? There, well, there were more than back in the 30s, I guess. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, the depression was tough. And in the process, he tells the story of Jack and the Beanstalk, and then he envisions himself in that story. So, yeah, oh, okay. Giant right. Land. Get, go to YouTube, watch it. Anyway, what Disney is talking about this time around is a full-blown animated version of Jack and the Beanstalk, something at least nine minutes long with songs and huge action sequences. And what gets people at the company excited about this is Princess and the Frog comes out in December of 2009. Look, we're in this moment right now where the Splash Mountain in Anaheim and Orlando is being transformed into uh, Tiana's Bayou Adventure, uh, not to mention the French market at Disneyland about to become Tiana's Palace. Yep. But People seem to have forgotten that when Princess of the Frog was initially released to theaters almost 14 years ago, Len, it was considered a box office disappointment. This John Musker and Ron Clements film cost a reported $105 million to make, and it only sold $104 million worth of tickets during its entire theatrical run in North America. Yeah. Does the uh, does the 105 million cover uh, marketing expenses or that's just production? Uh, no, we would, okay. you know, and that's important to factor in because the rule of thumb in Hollywood is you have to make at least three times your production cost before you even think about that your film is now in profit. Right, and we know this because uh, um, for the last uh, Avatar two movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they uh, that that was pointed out, uh, and uh, remember again, who's the director? I'm blanking. Uh, James Cameron. Thanks. Yep. I still have mm-hmm. vacation break. James Cameron mm-hmm. said, you know, this film costs so much to make yep. that it has to earn two billion dollars mm-hmm. to make mm-hmm. a profit, which is yeah. which is an astoundingly large number, right? Also remember, though, you know, in fact, important to stress here that we are talking about strictly the theatrical revenue for this thing. We're not talking about the merch that was sold for Princess and Frog. We are certainly not talking about how when the Blu-ray DVD version of this same film went on sale in March of 2010, the company made money off of that. We're strictly talking about 
the theatrical run, which, as it was explained to me, the studio basically admitted, look, we lost $50 million on the thing. So it's January of 2010, Len. And the company, again, they were like, what happened? We had our box office projections. We had great reviews. It's Why did this songs, the animations. I actually watched this film on the uh, on the sh- on the crib on the ship. Refreshing our memory out ahead of Tiana's Bayou Adventure, are we? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. 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 Well, anyway, again, January two thousand ten, they convene a focus group. And what the company discovers about why Princess and the Frog underperformed in the fall, early winter of 2009 led to changes with the animated features the company had in the works for 2012 and beyond. And, and long story short, Len, mm-hmm. the young boys who took part in this focus group said they had deliberately avoided seeing The Princess and the Frog while it was in theaters because this film had the word princess in its title. Oh, interesting. Which so meant that this... targeted yeah. the girls. Yeah, I got it. No, that's it exactly. This thing is only for girls. Huh. And so Disney takes this information very, very seriously. So much so that in February of that same year, 2010, they changed the name of their next full-length animated feature, Rapunzel, to Tangled. Oh, I didn't know that's why they did it. Oh. So it's one of these things where, all right, admittedly more generic, but more importantly... That- Princess Free. Doesn't reference a girl in the title. Wow. There we go. There we go. And nothing about that name that clues young boys into the fact that it's a princess in this movie. And Tangled arrives in theaters in November of that same year, 2010, and promptly does one and a half times better at the North American box office than Princess of the Frog had done the previous year. It, it, wow. it earns $260 million just in that one territory versus the $105 million that Princess of the Frog had done. And wow. Disney takes this to heart. So they actually change the name of the Snow Queen, which is, you know, in November yeah. of 2011. Okay, now let's circle back to Gigantic, which, of course, surprise, surprise, you know, Disney is even applying this new rule to its Jack and the Beanstalk movie with the notion of, well, you know, if we call it Jack and the Beanstalk, maybe little girls won't go to it. I was going to ask this question, like, is the same thing happen if you call it, like, yeah, Jack and the Beanstalk? Okay, cool. And this one is being put together by the equivalent of an all-star team at Walt Disney Feature Animation. You've got, it's going to be directed by Nathan Grano, co-director of Disney's Tangled. It's going to feature a score by Robert and Christian Anderson Lopez, the husband and wife team who actually took home the original song Oscar for their their anthem for Frozen, Let It Go. Mm -hmm. And it was was then going to be produced by Dorothy McKim, who had ridden herd on Disney's hugely popular prep and landing holiday specials. But best of all, at least as far as executives at Epcot were concerned, is that Gigantic was going to be set in Spain. In the Age of Discovery, uh, that's 1492 to 1504, roughly the period when Columbus, under the direction of Queen Isabella of Spain, uh, sailed off in search of the New World. And so it was at this point, Len, that a call was made to the, that group of Spanish businessmen who, who keep trying to get the money together for a World Showcase pavilion and, and to let them know that Disney had a film coming to theaters in November of 2018 that was set in Spain, an animated feature that was virtually guaranteed to be a smash hit. 
And the kicker, the absolute kicker, was they said, oh, by the way, we already have an idea for a the, the gigantic-themed ride. This is the centerpiece of the Spain Pavilion. We're going to put guests in a trackless vehicle and send them off into the world of the giant, where, you know, where they're going to have all of these hair-raising, cutting-edge adventures in... in uh. Does that sound like anything you know that that recently got added to to Epcot to you, Len? I was going to say that yeah, exactly. It sounds it sounds a lot like a uh, uh, Remy. But the funny thing for me would be like if you shrunk people down, they would be basically be tapas sized snacks to giants. I mean, think of the tie-ins that they could do there. Yeah, I know. Ah. I know. Well, all right. So how this seemingly can't miss project featuring a trackless vehicle? went off track mm-hmm. with both the gigantic film and then the Spanish pavilion getting canceled. We will get to in on next week's Disney dish with the third and final installment of this series. Okay. So that, that that's great uh, that there's one more week of this because it's going to give me some time to go back and uh, do the research on the Spain pavilion that was yeah, in, I, uh, in food and wine between 2010 yeah. and 2010. No, no, in fact, I'm so happy you brought that up because remember, in fact, that, that we're definitely touching on that in the third episode because okay, you yourself great. brought up <laughs> once you saw that in place and how fully formed it was. It's like, yeah. this is not a coincidence. It you was know, the this- most elaborate mm-hmm. food and wine booth I've ever seen. It was more in line with something that you would have seen a country do during the millennium celebration. Like it was oh, yeah, that no. big in scope. And I, you know, I talked about this. I don't know if we mm-hmm. did on the show, but like when, when it was there contemporaneously, we're walking through mm-hmm. this going like, this has to be a test run. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. remember that they had like elaborate food. Okay. We'll talk about it on this next week's show. That'll yep, be great. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this show today. You can help support our show in Jim Hill media by subscribing over at disneydish.bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. Folks, don't forget to look at the trailer for the new show that Jim and I are doing with former Imagineer Jim Schull, and you can preview that on YouTube at Disney Unpacked on YouTube. And on next week's show, as Jim said, we're going to finish up the history of Epcot's Spain Pavilion and have lots more news. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, just named Grandmaster of the 2023 Beaverdale Fall Festival, running on Friday, September 15th and Saturday, September 16th at the intersection of Beaver and Urbandale Avenue in beautiful downtown Beaverdale, Wisconsin. While Aaron is doing that, please go on to iTunes and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.